Welcome to Book Wandering with me, Anna James, the podcast where I talk to another writer about their most beloved children's or YA book. I'm the author of the children's fantasy series Pages & Co and an arts journalist, and for this last episode of the first series, I'm joined by Cressida Cowell. Cressida is the author of the multi-million selling series How to Train Your Dragon, which of course has been adapted into the wildly successful series of films. She's also the author of Which Way to Anywhere and was the UK Children's Laureate from 2019 to 2022. In Cressida's Kitchen, we chatted about the book she picked, Diana Wynne Jones' 1974 standalone fantasy novel, The Ogre Downstairs. Before we get into the episode, just to quickly note that while the podcast is largely suitable for children, this isn't geared at younger listeners. Uh, welcome to Book Wandering, Cressida. Thank you so much for coming and being a guest. Uh, it's lovely to see you. It's lovely to see you too, so the book you've picked is The Ogre Downstairs by Diana Wynne-Jones, um, which I think I read as a child, but I'm a big Diana Wynne-Jones fan, but this wasn't one I had, it didn't come back to me immediately. So to start with, could you tell us a bit about where you, where and when you first encountered the book? I encountered the book in the library. We went to the, back in the 1970s, it was completely standard to go to the library mm-hmm. once a week. Yeah. And so um, that was where I first found that book and I loved it and then read the whole of Diane Wynne-Jones <laughs> because I had the whole of uh, Diane Wynne-Jones there. Um, and, and, and so, yes, it was very important to me because it was the first book, I think I can say, I was probably about nine mm-hmm. when I met it for the first time, eight or nine. And it would have just have come out, actually. I think it was... 1974 is when it was first published. Yes, yeah, so it would have, yeah, it just come out. And and it was the first book, really, that made me want to become a writer. Uh, yeah. Um, because I absolutely loved the mixture of real life and magic. Mm-hmm. It, it made you feel that magic really could be true. Mm-hmm. It was so so exciting the scenes um it's about two sets of children who um have been thrown together by their parents marriage and they're not at all happy about it (laughs) and um they're given a chemistry set and each of the different chemicals does a different thing so one of them brings your toys to life and one of them makes you fly and it's such an exciting and intoxicating idea for Mm -hmm. a kid and it made me laugh and it made me think and um, it, the chemistry set and the, brings, the, brings the children together. Um, but, but what really it was about it is that I read it to, I loved it so much, I read it to my younger brothers and sisters mm. um, <laughs> on, this, on this island where we spent all our summer holidays. Yeah. Long story, very small <laughs> island on a house with no telly. Um, and I read it aloud to them and it was them saying, oh, you know, making them laugh and and them saying one more chapter, just read one more chapter. And that was the such an exciting feeling that yeah. I was getting them to love something that I, I mean, it was a feeling of power. <laughs> You know, that I was making them laugh yeah. <laughs> and that I was making them think as well. And, and, um, and and I was getting them excited about reading yeah. about books because you know that was something that you know books were something that I loved. So yeah. it has a very special place. That's lovely. And was it conscious at the time? You know, it's a, a book that made you want to be a writer. Like even when you were that young, 
were you aware that it was having that impact or is it one that you kind of trace back now you are a writer oh it's very much yeah yeah I, am oh, yeah. That. But I just love though that feeling mm -hmm. of of them of reading it aloud mm -hmm. and getting them to enjoy this right. story as much as I had mm -hmm. and so and so I suppose, yeah, looking back, it is looking back. It didn't make me think as a nine-year-old, okay, I want to, this is what I want to read for the rest of it. Because obviously, as a nine-year-old who never met another, or, you know, it wasn't right. the same back in the 1970s. You know, you got the books out of the library and that was all great, but you, and, and there was so much more access for everybody to mm -hmm. books back mm -hmm. in the 1970s, which I really wish there was now. Um, but uh, that was all great, but you never met a writer right never met a writer in my whole school career I never met a writer so to me even though I love books and that was you know my great joy in my life I never knew I never imagined it's a bit like deciding to be a film star right. in my eyes or <laughs> yeah. deciding to be a you know a, a, a kind of yeah pop star you know yeah. it, it was wildly unrealistic as an ambition mm -hmm. so I never thought age nine but I suppose I just love that feeling. And now you trace it back and you think, this is that's still right. what I'm trying to yeah. do. That, that's what I'm trying to do. Whenever I write a book, I'm trying to, to get, I'm not just telling a story. It's a different thing. You know, if you, lots of people become writers because they want to write stories. But for me, it is an extra thing of getting children to enjoy that medium of reading, to yeah. enjoy, which is a medium that I think is, hopefully not under threat but is yeah is is something we need to work at get, get, getting kids reading yeah for sure I mean you know I used to be a school librarian and mm. I really also Diana Wynne Jones was the author that when I trace it back is that author for me as well <laughs> no, yeah really was there was there a t particular book well it was charmed life which is actually oh, the book I that um, kate rundle has picked for her no. episode so really? um yes and i don't wow. think that will be the last That's i see of amazing. diana windows in this uh podcast um but yeah charmed life but i was just given charmed life in the way these books just serendipitously fall into your lap yeah. by oh. an old it was a friend of my mum who had a daughter older than me and i just got her cast offs of clothes books everything yeah and charmed life was just in one of those piles of stuff yeah. i was given and i similarly read that and then went on to read as much of her as i could find and i think her playfulness with genre and like the rules for me she really sums up that idea of like you have to know the rules to be able to break them you have to really love storytelling to be able to do something playful with it mm. and did you read the dark lord of dirk home it's the one where it's like a kind of riff almost on like a lord of the rings book oh, and it's like yes. a fan it's a fantasy land yes. which has well, wars uh, like it. the tough land a guide to fantasy land yeah. you read that i yes. love that one as well and that very like, joyfulness joyful. yes really stuck with me as a kind of merging of genres and writing books that are about books and like what you said i i feel really similarly about when i write and pages and co is so rooted in the you know it's literally the magic of reading and trying to make that literal and the best thing in the world is when you have a child come to you and say that because they've read your book it's opened up reading to them to them yeah. it's, there's nothing like it but wow when you think that you know that 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 particular author yeah wouldn't it be lovely to be able to tell her? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wish we could go 
oh, and tell her. Yeah. Because yes, you, Catherine Mandel, me, there's so, so many, many of us. So many yeah. who didn't even become writers or mm. children, you know, will have still been, you know, been launched into loving books Absolutely. and loving reading by those incredibly imaginative, glorious books. And actually, yeah. you know, she she you know, they were all slightly different styles in a lot of them. You know, she she wasn't afraid to play with genre. You yeah. you find her name cropping up in the most unexpected <laughs> places. I um I was re very recently last year I was speaking at a festival with Lauren Child, mm -hmm. um, and our interviewer Nick Tucker asked this very same question that you're just asking now, and um and I said the first book that I absolutely loved and you know got me excited about reading really was the Over Downstairs and he said oh I was evacuated with Diana Wynne Jones to a country house I know oh, oh it was and we, were, we were in the middle of a whole a, a kind of talk and in front of a whole load of people but I suddenly turned round to Nick Tucker the interviewer and said oh exactly like that and he was like so what was she like and you yes. know what was it what was it like being um you know being evacuated with her and what the kind of a person Story. was she and yeah. and well she was obviously very imaginative yeah. <laughs> very imaginative exciting little girl you know to be having you know playing with I imagine and having fun with yes because she'd been so imaginative oh, and wonderful wow but yes so she's quite a person isn't she she's really you know she wasn't the only one you know there was there were I had other heroes and as we're talking about it you know you begin to you know, a lot of my book writing heroes were women Astrid yeah. Lindgren, Pippi uh, Longstocking yes incredible child you know hero yeah. for me oh yes I loved yeah Pippi. um but she's a as a redhead I'm well served for oh, of course. heroines though of but, course. but there's, Green Gables, yeah, there's way more redheads yeah children's books are you know you, you there's so many redheaded heroines in children's books way more than there are there's more redheads in fiction than there are in real life but for, oh um, that's really interesting I Why think it's quite think? often used as like a shorthand for this is the main character. They have oh. red hair. <laughs> really? Um, it's used differently, I think. Yeah, but if you, you know, like things like Anne and Pippi, and often I, I find in modern children's books, there's a lot of, you still in modern children's fiction, there's a lot of red-headed characters. And I've actually been resistant. Actually, when we had the first cover come in for Pages, <laughs> they had made her ginger, even though she's described as having brown hair in the book. And it's so funny, isn't it? Just, you know, the author insert thing. And you're like, I mean, she has brown hair. And also she's not me. You've drawn, you've drawn me. The books are very much rooted in, you know, yeah, as, they, yeah, as yeah. all our books are. But I was like, but she does. She does. Just drawn her as me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, speaking of something, you know, hiccup. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so yes. But he was a Viking. Yes. yes. No, that's... So. There was a rationale yeah. to that. Yeah. yeah, I love it. As a redheaded kid who was teased for being redheaded, you know, really? not, je I mean, yeah. not with any brutality, Gen but um, it was always, it's nice to have so many ginger heroines when yeah. it's not as valued in real life. As a child, as an adult, I love having red hair, but as a child, mm. it's uh, it's not very highly valued amongst other children. Ah. <laughs> um, well, speaking of children, obviously, mm. The, like you said, the blended families and the step families. Well, 
to start with, what I found interesting reading it was, um, it the the ogre is the stepfather, mm-hmm. and it's um it's of its time in some ways in the sense of like the he he <laughs> yes. hits. I thought oh, he was going to be he he's redeemed at the end, yeah. but in a way that you you couldn't have a stepfather hitting children and no. then they're still. I was expecting him to stay because I was reading it through the lens of 2023. Yes, of course. But it's really, it's really quite an unpleasant situation. Yeah. In. Yes. And the book is full yes, of... Yes, I hadn't thought about that, actually. Um, but, but it all comes good in the end, and he is yes. regretful, but um, it is... You Obviously, it wouldn't, ha- it wouldn't no. happen like that no. if you were writing this story no. today. No, <laughs> no, you couldn't, no. Um, and also, it is a very domestic book like there's so much magic in it but it is almost entirely set in their house yes with magical things happening but it's quite domestic apart from the flying you know it's things but coming that's what to makes it feel and... very real exactly isn't it? it's yes. very real it's because of the domesticity yeah. so that was very intoxicating mm-hmm. because i felt I felt that you didn't, you know, you obviously you had Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, and I loved The Hobbit. I loved The Hobbit. I met, you know, I loved um, Pride the Chron- you know, Chronicles of Pride in the Book of Three. That's American, oh, actually. I oh, it's American. So I got a lot of American. Again, I was given books. Always give guides, give books yeah. that you love to friends and things, because it's such a. I was given books by my American aunt. Ah. Um, so. Um, and yeah, so I loved those, and you know, this much more old-fashioned, but uh, Violet Needham, um, the Emerald Crown, and oh, no, so those are all sense. fantasy. I suppose you call that high fantasy, right. which uh, would you call that high fantasy? That's the, Diana Wynne Jones did write high fantasy as well, yeah. but this was the first time I think I'd really come across very domestic yeah. fantasy. It's not even it portal fantasy. It doesn't even no. have real world into it. It's entirely no. in our no. world, and the magic is also just never really. It's not explained. There's no magic system. It just I, is. It just is, which I love. Yes. But but actually, no, I suppose the only thing you'd say, but it's much more old fashioned, so that there was always five children and it oh, is a bit yes. domestic. And yeah. um, uh, that sort of, which, which for me is also why you can stop, because that's so old fashioned in many ways, but you can... You know, you can, you can still read that today because, yes. it, because of the characterisation yeah. of... I mean, I love that with Five to Inez bit as well, when the Samoyed, that's, you know, is, he's a sort of grumpy yes. idea and he's a reinterpretation of a fairy. For sure. But it's all very domestic, so it feels very real. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something, because back in back in the 1970s, she, it, that felt, although it feels very old-fashioned, particularly in the thing that you're, you just pointed out, I mean, the... <laughs> That's kind of the its own yes, thing. Yes, that's its yeah. own, own, own thing, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, which you certainly would never write in a book today for children. Well, certainly not as but someone feels... who wasn't no. an out-and-out villain. Yes, I know. <laughs> no, I don't. Not even sure you'd be able to do that. I don't think. Yeah, no, it's... No. Um, but... Um, uh, but but the, the, the kind of... Um, the domestic setting was very of my own time right in the sense that that it wasn't like five children it set in i can't remember that was the 1920s but, yes. 1930s um so 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 that was very resonant you just then thought oh you know maybe 
you know, it could, you know, things could be magic, maybe. And that's such a, you know, the idea of you, this was before Toy Story, way before Toy Story, (laughs) the idea that your toys could come to life and the the people in your doll's house could come to life. And I mean, it's just such a, the toffee bars coming to, it's the detail. So when the toffee bars come to life, and they get larger, they shed their wrappers. Yeah. That's such a lovely, clever detail. Yes. And then they try and get warm, so they huddle on the radius. They lie on the radius, <laughs> and the kids are constantly getting into trouble because these toffee bars have escaped and have melted themselves to the radiators. But it's so deep. It's that idea of taking taking a rule that she's made up in a way, and then pursuing it yes. to its logical conclusion. Yeah which is very, you know, for a child and even for an adult, it's yeah. it's very um exciting. And it's never saccharine either. I think that's a very Diana Wynne Jones mm. thing, isn't it? And mm. something, again, I always try, like, I want, I want to always write sort of whimsy without twee is what yeah. I'm trying to go for. But, you know, the fact that the people who come to life in the doll's house are very resentful of yes. the family. And they <laughs> yes, are quite not very nice. aggressive to them. And, you know, the toffee bars just, are, they, they, um, is it the toffee bars eat the little bits of it's not it's like construction paper that comes to life and the toffee bars eat them and it's i i love that um it's never saccharine dino in tones it's no. always got that little kind of weird edge and, and she does it. yes and the and the adults are complicated are complicated yes, <laughs> yes i know but this they is are, perhabs an extreme example but in yes, all of her work the, the, adults, the adults are, are complicated yeah, complex which yeah. which i do think yes it is an extreme example and so you shouldn't but on the other hand, what is I really liked about her work, and you appreciated even as a child, was that the adults were learning too, mm-hmm. and the you know the the children were dealing with complex adults, yeah. and and it wasn't you know there were it felt it felt more realistic, mm-hmm. um, and I I particularly like her books where the children are learning something or the adults are learning something. Mm-hmm. And that's very, that's true of Charmed Life where, yeah. um, oh, what's he called? Is he called Cat or Kit? Cat. Kit. Cat. Oh, Cat. Yes. Is he called Cat? Yes, because, spoiler. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, nine, I know, yeah. Nine lives, yeah. Oh, I thought he was called Kit for some reason. I haven't really read that for years. <laughs> oh, but there is a Kit later in the series, isn't there? Oh, Charmed I think, Life. I think, because I think that's Charmed the Mancy books. I think there might be a Kit. Oh, but cat, it's definitely cat. Oh, um, it's cat. Yes, cat and Gwendolyn. Uh, oh, Gwendolyn. Yes. Oh, cat. <laughs> oh, yes. Because hang on. Yes, Christopher. Well, I'm trying to remember. I thought he was called Kit for Christopher. Anyway, I get very confused. Um, haven't read that one for years. But again, he's learning really to stand up to his older yeah. sister, and I love it when a book is te- taking on a on a journey. For sure. Um, and this was. Uh, Dan says was a for my latest book, you know, Which Way to Anywhere yeah. was very much inspired by, because I I thought that the blended family situation, yeah, um, was really interesting, um, particularly in the context of of the domestic magic, and mm-hmm. but also I felt that it wasn't something that I came across much mm-hmm. elsewhere in yeah. reading children's literature. And and I also thought quite a lot of children probably are in that yeah, situation. Yeah. <laughs> so it's quite it's quite an interesting thing to write about yeah. that might be helpful. Yeah. Um so I must admit reading them back to back was such a fun 
oh, experience um, because you could see I I love um, I mean I've used this phrase before but like I love being able to see the books that an author is like in conversation with, with. and I because mm. I find it a lovely thing that we are all like that kind of chain of readers and writers and that we're yeah. all yeah riffing on and inspired by the things the books that made us readers but yes, yes there's a blend of her but yeah i must admit having read them back to back the two yeah. uh the toothbrushes yes felt yes, very diana and jones i yes. loved it like a, i wasn't sure if that was a conscious nod to the ogre downstairs or yes a, yeah. absolutely i mean because yeah the toffee bars and the pipe yes were i i i loved the idea of the pipe coming oh, to yes. life and the and 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 i what i i loved it again about it is and I've very much taken this idea for that from Diane and Wynne Jones is that is that when they come to life, they 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 have characteristics that are to do yeah. with what they're what they were built for. Yes. So I very much did that with the toothbrushes. It's, it's lovely. in their <laughs> it's lovely. <laughs> it's in their nature yeah. to protect because yeah. they're built to protect teeth. Um, so yes, that was very much inspired by her. Yeah work and actually um, we should i i feel like i should ask you just so everyone who's listening is familiar could you should could you just introduce us to which way to anywhere just so when we're talking about it okay, people know a bit more about the story well yes which way to anywhere is also about two sets of children yeah. who um are in a blended family mm -hmm. so they've been um put in this family because their father and their mother have married each other and they're really not happy about it it's like a family <laughs> in uh yoga downstairs um but the one thing this is where it differs slightly from i mean and also yes. it obviously differs oh yes yes you're here as i'm going yes there are no it's certainly know, doesn't stay in the domestic sphere no, it does not stay in the domestic sphere 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 um does not stay in the domestic sphere um but they have the one thing the two sets of children can agree on is their baby sister, yes. Anipek, who is the baby sister of both sets of children. Um, but the, the, the children are also, they're not just angry about or upset, um, depending on the child, um, uh, about being put in this situation because nobody else then. Um, but they're also upset because in the case of one set of children, Thea and Mabel, their, their mother has died. Mm -hmm. So, and in the case of, um, K2 and Isabel, their father is absent, yeah. missing, presumed dead. Um, but uh, <laughs> one set of children, <laughs> or, or that are, are the, the they're magic, but in a in a world that is is thinks that magic does not exist. Yeah. So, um, and one of the sets of children, K K2, one of the twins, has got this wonderful magical gift which is of drawing maps that show the crossing points between the worlds. And when their baby sister is kidnapped and taken into uh, an alternative world, the two sets of children have to join together to rescue yeah. her. So that's where it gets yeah. <laughs> very <Yeah>. undomestic. <laughs> you know, but that to me, that that to me was such an exciting, I, I, was, I love drawing maps as a child. Nice. And we'd spend hours and hours drawing maps. And my sister actually is, she's also um, a, 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 an artist and right. she, in fact, specialises in maps. Oh. Yeah, in drawing maps. Um, and so the idea that 
you could draw a map that seemed like it was an imaginary place yeah. but was actually a real place was that that's something a bit like the toffee bars coming to yes. life that to me um was such an intoxicating idea actually yeah. i don't think i read a book about that where that happened in when i was a child mm. i suppose the clear the closest would be narnia yeah. wouldn't it where the idea that yeah that you could go because because what k2 can do is on one side of the piece of paper has two sides on one side you draw a map of your imaginary place and on the other side you draw the place of some way you know well and then you draw a crossing point on yeah and and that's the idea it's a bit such like a wonderful oh, idea. Oh, thank, yeah. you. <laughs> thank you thank you and that's the idea a bit like narnia where you could kind of go to your fridge and open it oh, and it yeah, ship, yeah. um He's also, yeah, full of the spirit of Diane Wynne-Jones, isn't it? I think yeah. uh, it's like, and it's called the alternative atlas. It's just such a dreamy idea. But I, I feel like, you know, when you feel like you've had a good idea, I feel like half the time it is because you're like, I don't think anyone's done that, but it feels yeah. like something everyone should have done. And I feel like that's the sign of a good idea. <laughs> well, do you, know, do you know, I wrote that idea. It was called the alternative atlas. I've got the sketchbook right there. <gasps> yeah. Um, uh, for that, I I wrote the first lines of that idea before I wrote How to Train Your Dragon. No. I, I wrote, yeah, my husband has spent the last, ooh, how long? 50, 50 no, 20 years yeah. saying, oh, I really like that alternative yeah. atlas idea. <laughs> Amazing. He loved that yeah. idea. And literally for 20 years, he's been saying, well, because I got into writing How to Train Your Dragon and I really got into yeah. that world. And But yeah, he's been saying he oh, loves that idea. He's been proven right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad you like that, that idea. But I suppose it is always, you know that with Pages and Co, it's, it is always remembering those ideas that you found mm -hmm. were intoxicating yeah, ones exactly. when you were a kid. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. It, it's those ideas that you would you would have loved to have read. You're writing the books that you would like to have. For sure. Yeah. And I feel like all of my books are so rooted in Diana Wynne-Jones yeah. in terms of that idea of, I think like, yeah, Dark Lord and Dark Home had a big impact on that kind of accessing you know, it's it's people from our world access to fantasy land, but we yeah. are the reader is in the perspective of the people who live in the fantasy land. And again, mm -hmm. just that visiting visiting worlds that we see through stories and what it's like to actually exist in that. It was something I always found very magical. And I would say that the Crestomancy books have had a big impact on the series I'm writing at the, at the moment. moment. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I'll ever write something that doesn't have something to do mm -hmm. with Diana Wynne Jones, in a, not in an explicit way. Those books just like they just made up my imagination, though. I yes. think I can't remove any idea I have from that foundation of Diana Wynne Jones books. And 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 I think what it what it was, you see, I particularly like the ones where where it's it's not domestic, but it feels real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I I love I love it when that. So even when. And I sort of take it into a different, in, with How to Train Your Dragon, I'm still treating, I mean, that is fantasy, you know, Vikings <laughs> may not have had dragons. <laughs> there is a theory <laughs> that they didn't have dragons. But I'm sort of presenting that, I'm trying to 
presented as if it really is right. real. And right. that is something. So, so I'm writing about dragons, but by putting the, the fake historical into yeah. it, for me, that makes it feel very real. Yeah. And so, and I've done the same thing with Wizards once, which was Bronze Ages. So again, it has its fantasy, wizards, wit, magic, yeah, but I set it in a historical mm -hmm. set setting. With Which Way to Anywhere, I, it, it, it's it's not history, but I've I've set it's kind of it's kind of fantasy, but it's actually presented almost like it's sci-fi. I mean, it's really fantasy, yeah. but it's presented with a sort of interstellar yeah. possibility. Yeah. And that is where uh, what I learned from Diana Wynne-Jones mm. is for me, it's particularly satisfying for me and Adwell Child if it's sort of slightly mixed with fact. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, that's just my, the no. way I've done it. Um, no, but you, you want know. to have, is that capacity... Writing for this age is such a beautiful age to write for, isn't it? Because they are old enough that you can really talk to readers yeah. of sort of 10 to 13. But a lot of them either still just about believe in magic or yeah. want to believe in magic. Yeah. Um, I've had sometimes I get, get kids come up to me just sort of like they're a bit embarrassed, but they're not quite sure. And they say, just, just how would I know if I <laughs> could book Wanda? Yeah. And like they're a bit too cool, but they're just like just to check. Yeah. Just to check. And yeah. I that makes me feel like I've done something right. Yeah, if in yeah, the books it yeah, feels like yeah. something that might they, be they real. Really could be real. Yeah. Although I know yeah. it's hard on to because you don't want to say no, it's made up, it's magic. Yeah. Well, again, it's magic, yeah, but yeah, yeah. you know, you don't want to set up a child to then fail at book wandering. But equally yeah. you don't want to say, Yes, you can do it. Mm -hmm. Um but um, but you know what? Book wandering is low key the feeling of being transported by a book anyway. So yeah, um, so so you yeah. you sort of yes, yeah, so you can book yes. wandering. Well, I um, do tend to say like you know that feeling when you kind of lose track of time when mm, you're reading, mm, uh, like if you miss a stop on a bus because mm, you're so like that's the yeah, that's that the start is. of book wandering. Yeah. So yeah, um, and I think I, I think it's yeah the only thing I'm saying is it is also because it's it's dealing with with real problem, problems mm -hmm. that yeah. kids come across, but in a sort of fantasy yeah. kind of a way. And that's that's what I yeah. and that's the, love that's the about power of that. fantasy. That is the power. Yeah. You know, so many children come to me and say, oh, when I was being bullied or I didn't feel that I really fitted in, mm -hmm. Hiccup and Fishlegs and Kamikaze were yeah. my friends, yeah. you know. Yeah. And that's... And that's, you know, so you're, of course, you're writing books about, you know, dragons and facing, but you're not really, are you? No. You're writing about the relationships and, you know, a kid's relationship with their parent and mm -hmm. and all of that stuff. Absolutely. You know, so that that was that was the exciting stuff, really, yeah. for me, um, writing about relationships in a in a fantasy setting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One thing I'm stuck by, which you touched on right at the start, was, you know, both of us kind of a lot of the books we're talking about we found quite serendipitously like we were given mm -hmm. them or we went to the library like I went to that we went to the library every week yeah. as children mm -hmm. and so many of the books I love were books that I just sort of picked up essentially at random based on just what I liked the look of mm -hmm. and I think that 
opportunity for serendipitous finding of books is the thing that I worry about when I talk about access to books. Yes, and those more I. serendipitous windows seem to be closing, like with libraries closing. So it's there's and I think that magic of stumbling across a book yeah. is how so many people yeah especially writers ended up finding the books that they loved and obviously you were the laureate and mm. i'm like i'm interested in just how you feel like kind of you've seen things evolving what what you're concerned about how we fix it but also any things that mm. you think are really exciting and good and moving in yes. good direction so well yes um the yeah the problem is is huge and only exacerbated by the cost of living prices mm. but it was there even before mm -hmm. um one in seven primary schools don't have a library and um for children on free school meals that number rises right it's by double right if if you're on free school meals you're twice as likely to be in a school that doesn't have a library right which makes no sense yeah. whatsoever wrong way around and yeah i mean everyone, every child should have access to the library every yeah. child should but i mean children who you whose parents can't afford books of I mean, course even and more even need, more yeah. so and the cost of living crisis has made you know all of the latest figures i think the national literary trust has just released some more figures about this that makes you know pretty sobering reading um about how you know parents inevitably you know they're they're saying that they can't afford to course, know, buy their yeah. kids books I think the figure for for children, I'm trying to think what the exact, it is something like one in five parents or one in, I, I can't remember the exact mm -hmm. figure, to be honest, about children who are growing up in households that have no books, but it's astonishingly high. So given that we know, and we've known for decades, mm -hmm. the link between reading for pleasure, reading yeah. for the joy of it, and a kid's later economic success mm -hmm. let alone their educational success let alone their happiness let alone all the mental health benefits that yeah. we know that reading brings it just doesn't seem it's just not it's just not fair it's right. just not sensible given given that we also know how many people in prison have a learning you know learning difficulty mm -hmm. um, or have been excluded from school and everything makes no sense you know you, you've got to get children reading for pleasure and how do you do it if their parents can't afford books if there isn't a library in their primary school if the public library isn't close or by mm -hmm. or their parents are too you know busy or working it's been closed work. down exactly yeah how are they going to learn to read for pleasure yep. so that is the problem mm -hmm. and you know things are, and that's why i launched the whole life-changing libraries yeah. campaign because also because <laughs> because over the last 20 years you know with school budgets and everything you can't bl blame in a way you know that's one of the right well because there's the lack of statutory protection isn't there because yes schools don't legally have the the requirement to have a no. library you because yeah i worked i was a school librarian and mm -hmm. i was constantly having to defend why they should be paying me mm -hmm. and giving me a budget but you feel for them because the budgets are cut yeah. so dramatically and obviously the things that the things that they are there's legal things that they, they have to provide mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. obviously it's yes. just the, the you know libraries need to have more statutory support and requirements yes, and... so that schools aren't in this situation where something has to go and the library is the only thing that they have any flexibility on absolutely 
and and also a budget has to be provided to schools that are sp is specifically set aside Absolutely. for libraries because otherwise how you know how do you find that extra yeah extra money oh goodness, and, and yeah. it's the, the schools <laughs> that have you know children with the the highest amount of um of uh, of learning difficulties mm -hmm. often they're having to spend their budgets on those children yeah. you know those um so I was always, oh, yes. I made befriended the ladies in the finance department when I was a school librarian. <laughs> and I was always like, which budgets have yeah. spare money? At the end of the mm. day, I'd be like, which budgets have got money left over? Yeah. And then I would pitch the yeah. activities to the school as, this isn't the library budget. This is a gifted and yeah. talented event. This is an SEN event. This yeah, is a, yeah, yeah, and yeah, I would basically yeah, do yeah. everything I could to be like, how can I pitch this yeah. as needing to come out of a budget that exists well i know but that's <laughs> but why i was asking for extra from central government yeah. i was asking it shouldn't, obviously that shouldn't yes, be like that, that. Shouldn't yeah be like <laughs> it's that. a huge and amount of work and like slightly dubious <laughs> i know but that was the only way that i, I could know. afford to have authors in or yeah but, but you see this is that it shouldn't be something that's up to the individual exactly. schools because how do you how do you get every it's such a it's just not a coordinated approach. Right. I mean, you could be <laughs> you could be lucky enough to be in an area where you know there's amazing library services, yeah. and you've got an, a school that actually in primary school you'd have to be very lucky to, to have a dedicated library. Yeah. Yes. Um, but you just could not. It's just not a coordinated right. national approach. Mm -hmm. Is is the real problem? Yeah. Um, it's very very spotty, and, and and often the children in most need aren't the ones who are getting the support. So it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And this is all coming from the literacy charities. It's yeah. not just me as a yeah. individual. Author. You know, this is all everybody in the literacy charities coming together mm -hmm. to say we've got all this research. We've got this twenty years of go of research going back to two thousand two on yeah. on. The benefits of reading for the joy of it so we've got to act on it in a co coordinated way so the life-changing libraries campaign consisted of two parts one was an ask of 100 million pounds a year ring fence um for school libraries mm -hmm. which is nothing the same i mean nothing not half as much as the sports right. um you know the ring fence money for sports mm -hmm. um so it wasn't an unrealistic figure so yeah. that was the political ask yeah um the other ask was the other not ask was a more practical element to the campaign, which was setting up six gold standard libraries in six very different parts of the country. All of them had to have um, a certain amount of children on free school meals. Right. But other than that, they were um, had different challenges. So, you know, one of them was an inner city school and the other one was a very small rural school. Mm. Um, and to measure the, you know, what happened if you put in right. the ideal library because um, that's the other thing isn't it I used to always find it really hard just as an individual to people love people who make these decisions love data yeah and it's hard to produce data, data when everything is, where yeah. you see the impact it's having on young people's lives but putting that into data is really hard but also it's very hard to um, provide data when there are so few examples of what is an ideal school right, library of course, yeah. because we've had 20 years of, of things deteriorating. Yeah. I mean, and and so that that's what's, you know, it's also difficult, to, you know, because because libraries in primary schools yeah. and particularly librarians yeah. in primary schools have sort of disappeared mm -hmm. over the last mm -hmm. 20 years. Yeah. I mean, you know, librarians are just 
you can't you know find very many primary school libraries yeah. you might be lucky enough to find somebody somebody who is in charge of right of the and library space about and who it. cares about yeah. it but a, a dedicated school library yeah. librarian in a state school primary that just doesn't that's it's not very, a role that very, exists anymore yeah so anyway so 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 it there were there were three things in each library it was about books um space mm -hmm. and expertise yeah so it was about training and the books and the, the dedicated library space yeah. and this dedicated library space looking joyful and yeah. and the expertise training up not only an individual to be in charge but also teachers you know yeah. put embedding it in the whole school culture yeah. um so the expertise was incredibly important as well as that the curated books because it's really difficult it's difficult for people to know what books actually work yes you know so um, and because different <laughs> different books work for different, different children kids. as well yes. yeah yeah so you had a whole team of people you know choosing the books and training up the pe people in and, and then we you know found you know we had these incredible responses from the schools once yeah. they'd set everything and it was all in just post-pandemic right. conditions so not ideal but you know in one school we had you know the highest um jump in sen children's you know yeah but that they'd had ever wow as a result of being exposed to this um school library they're reporting improvements in you know well you know children children you know children and staff um attitudes you know yeah. wonderful space for children you know in well-being and you know as well as academic yeah kind of achievement so one one school this kid said was asked by a journalist when we were opening up the school and the kid said well it's wonderful because it means that I don't have to read the same book over and over oh. again <laughs> I know and uh, you just think there's yeah. a kid desperate to read and access stories but just hasn't had just hasn't had the chance yeah um so it's really important anyway so that was that was the the laureate campaign and it was really exciting to see everybody getting behind it because yeah. so many people just say really what you know one in seven schools don't I, don't think people realize. I don't think people realize yeah. they're astonished they think it's um so it was an awareness campaign that was really important um but but a very exciting you know that the primary school library alliance you know um the, the national literacy mm -hmm. trust has now has now set up this primary school library alliance right. which is very ambitious yeah. for reaching as many children as possible in, in primary schools um i think their first um they have a, achieved their first goal which is a thousand primary schools oh, amazing you know so yeah they're very ambitious wonderful um and you've got to hope that at some point government will start matching funding mm -hmm. um because it's just so important as you know with the cost of living crisis yeah. it's just it's just it's not fair is yeah. what it isn't yeah. all children should have the same chance exactly you know it's yeah. just not fair children are just as smart just as clever yeah wherever they're from yeah that's what you know from meeting so many children <laughs> that's that's one thing i can say children are just they have just the same potential yeah so they should be given the same access the same 
access is that you know it's just just not fair yeah because it's the words it's the words that they're exposed to mm -hmm. that's what it really is you know if you get a give a card a child words and ideas yeah. and you know because because film and screen are not word mediums mm -hmm. you know they're music mediums they're um that they are emotion mediums yeah. that you know they get but you know only in a book or an audio book do you get all those words yeah um, yeah and it gives you the words to articulate mm -hmm. who you want to be and what you want to do and where you want to go mm -hmm. i had um a very i grew up in the countryside in a very religious family oh, and did you? through reading everything in our little tiny public library i feel like that would it I can't overstate the impact it has on me both in terms of accessing people and worlds not even fantasy, but just diff different ways of living mm. that were outside of a very specific <laughs> formula I'd been told was the yeah. right way to live. Yeah. But also just giving me words because yeah. it meant that I was better able to sort out what was going on in my own yeah. brain. Mm. And it's why I am evangelical yeah. about why I end up being a librarian and you know now a yeah. children's author I just think there's nothing like it especially at that age yeah I mean I always say that it's me reading gives you three magical powers which is intelligence creativity and empathy mm -hmm. and and that's that is a real it's it so yeah intelligence is the words yeah the more words you have the more intelligent and interesting the thoughts you know, <laughs> yeah. that you can have and then, because words are the pathway yep. thought, and then um, empathy, you know, seeing yeah. into somebody's, that's what you're doing, isn't it? Yeah. Your things on a screen happen out there in a, in a book are happening inside oh, your head. Know, so yeah. you're actually going into that place. And that's what you were doing by reading. Yeah. You're going into somebody else's head. Exactly. Really, you're seeing yeah. other. And then the third, creativity, because yeah. films are so bossy and <laughs> books you have to imagine. Yeah. Um, but it is, but, I mean, I read Philip Pullman's books at a very formative age, which are literally, mm. you know, it's literally about killing God. And, you know. Oh, wow. I read those that I must have like, been. <gasps> yeah. That and must have been. Ex how? It, extraordinary yeah. to yeah. you. That must have been felt very. I mean, yeah. it had a, a profound effect on me. I wasn't actually the first two. How um, old were you? Well, actually, uh, the first two came out quite near to each other, and then there was a gap, wasn't there? Because I felt that was, I'm very aware that that, when we were waiting for the Amber Spyglass, it was when I first became aware of kind of authors and like publication, because ah. it was the first time I wanted to read something that didn't exist yet. And I hadn't really ah. stumbled across like a series where everything wasn't, didn't exist. And I remember going to the Waterstones in the Metro Centre and being like, do you constantly, every time I went to Waterstones, went to the metro center i would be like i have to go to waterstones because i need to ask the booksellers if they know yet when yes. it's coming out and they would check on their system it was my it was how i kind of that was my first uh oh. introduction to the idea of a publication date so so i reckon the first few came out when i was maybe like 10 ish 10 and 12 mm. and then i reckon the, the last one came out when i was about 14 15 so very mm. but those books have a very emotional so my my granddad, who was also very religious, um, but died before I really got to the chance to ever know him. As You know, when you're a child, your grandparents are your grandparents, mm -hmm. and he died before I really had a relationship with him as, as, as an adult. adult. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but he, I mean, Tilly's granddad in Payton Co is extremely rooted in my granddad. Mm. Like he was, we used to walk from there to the bookshop in Melrose and buy books together. And every time me and my sister went to stay with him, there was a book on our pillow and they'd gone to the bookshop and said, this is what they like, this is what they didn't like. And the bookseller would help them pick a book. So books were oh. huge and we used to read together and a huge part oh. of my relationship with books. But he bought me Northern Lights. Mm. And it's something I've always found very like, uh, like not knowing if he knew what those books were about if it just it was recommended or because you know he was very religious and I, I it's something I really have had to sort of you know work through the idea of like not just not being able to ever have a conversation with him about those books but yeah when the so the first two I was bought but the last one um I wasn't allowed to buy I was but I was allowed to borrow it from the library like I think my parents obviously <laughs> couldn't quite work out how they felt about it and didn't want to um they didn't want to stop me accessing books, but but at this point they knew what the books were about. And so they were like, the well, time... we're not going to buy it for you, but you can borrow it from the, the library. library. <laughs> so I did get to read, but yeah, it had a big, it, I just no one had ever, I just never come across these ideas before that kind of God is a construct. And, and this is not, this is not to do with anyone else's relationship with the, you know, faith, but for, just for me and how I was brought up, it was a very, um, and also just the idea that people who love you can, you can still disagree with them. Yeah. I'm very close to my family still, but we disagree, disagree fundamentally on a lot of this stuff. But that book also just helped me really puzzle through and again, gave me words for puzzling through the idea that you can really love someone and disagree with them. Mm. Um, yeah. So. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. I would agree with that. Yes, There's yes, books, and, 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 books, and, and yeah, fiction, yes. Nothing else quite operates yes. like that. And that's important. I mean, that's that's certainly a message very strongly in in the House Train Dragon book. Actually, yeah, yeah. a lot of my books is yeah. absolutely about <laughs> that. that. You can you can love somebody very much, yeah. but not necessarily agree with them. And the thing is, maybe your grandfather maybe. Who knows whether he knew, you know, but he he could feel if you have a very strong faith, it has to be able to be yes. put to the test. And I think people of of very strong faith would still would 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 feel that their maybe would feel that their faith is strong enough that it can yeah. be through yeah. put to the test so. and yeah. you can still believe, you know, so yeah. it's just yeah. maybe he would see it like that. Uh, yeah. And I think quite possibly, I think it's just I would. Yeah. It's a. Uh, it's always been a sort of curiosity to me that I've never been able to quite resolve. Yeah. But it's how you know how life goes. Uh, yeah. And uh, he. Uh, yes, but that's where Tilly's granddad comes from, and uh, uh. he's he's his own character, obviously, as it always goes. But he's the mm. only character with a kind of direct inspiration. Direct from... inspiration. Oh. Um, I'm not i don't pull from real people mm. obviously you do on subconsciously yes but, um, he's the only character that has a very specific real life counterpart yeah um, and he yeah. he introduced you to books and read to you and, yeah oh, uh, and he used to so pin my lovely. stories up on on oh. their kitchen uh kitchen table so it's anyway now is not the time because but yes no it's it's uh, i uh it's a sad thing for me that he didn't get to read my books but yeah it's it's I would never have written them no. without him. So without him reading aloud to you and yeah. 
doing that validation and yeah, yeah for sure being proud of you for, i know that's so lovely but anyway before i get uh teary <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, went on it i wasn't expecting to go there but um um right great well i suppose just to wrap things up mm-hmm. tell us what you are working on at the moment you must have a which way to anywhere absolutely i am just finishing the sequel to which Exciting. way to anywhere which one of the other children finds it because k2 finds out they get his gift in, yes. in the first book and one of the other children finds out what their Excellent. gift is and we continue <laughs> the story of everest okay. and yeah, all of the children. Anyway, don't, know, yeah, don't yeah, give too much give... away. Don't give too much away. Yes. <laughs> too, too much away. But I've really loved writing the second one. I mean, the second one is actually lovely because the first one you really are setting up the whole world yes, and course, it's so yeah. much work. And this one is 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 lovely because you set up all the characters and then you're just going off yes. with them. And so it's been a real joy. There's some some scenes that I just love that are yeah, some of my favourite scenes um, actually to write exciting. so far. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's been absolutely yeah. lovely. And, um, then and then I've written, a, yes, I've also written a um, a short a short story for the How to Train Your Dragon anniversary. Amazing. So that was the first... 20 years. For 20 yeah. years of How to Train Your Dragon. Um and so in order to sort of celebrate, I wrote my first short story Ooh. set in that world, I know, which was actually really lovely. It was, yeah. I'd so enjoyed it. It's like familiar friends, yes. really. Um, it's and just, that's it's going a, in the anniversary edition of the... It's going of in Dragon. the anniversary yeah. edition of House Dragon. Yeah, so. Amazing. And uh, there's been whispers online of a new... I know. ...film version. I know. <laughs> I know. So exciting. Yeah. Uh, um, a live action yeah. of How to Train Your Dragon, the first um, animated movie. And really excitingly, we have the same director. Wonderful. Dean directed all three yeah. of the How to Train Your Dragon animated movies. And he's come back to do this, to direct this live action. Really yeah. like in conversation yes, with each other. Exactly. Yeah. But also, quite apart from anything else, it would be a bit for another director coming in because those movies were really were you know oscar nominated and won golden globe and charlie la la so it would be a bit tricky to come yes. in as a director and think yeah. oh my goodness you know i can't you know. yeah yes so i'm so happy that dean wonderful is doing it yeah i'm just going to be really interested to see yeah particularly doing the dragon. I was going to say, yes. <laughs> I mean, real life dragons. Yeah. That's going wow. yeah. to be a hard one. I've really got to uh, really push the bear out with the budget to get the real dragons. <laughs> I know. Wonderful. So that's yeah. all really exciting. So, so many. Lots on the go. Lots Great. on the go. Well, thank you so much uh, for t- telling us all about everything really it's been Mm. such a lovely chat i'm going to put in the description all about the various Mm. campaigns and books that we have mentioned Um, but thank you so much oh so lovely to chat about dynamin jones thanks so much for listening to book wandering you can find out more about cressida and her books and everything we talked about below and you can buy any or all of the books we chatted about via my bookshop.org page 
That was the last episode of the first series of Book Wandering. I really hope you've enjoyed listening. I'm very much hoping to do another series and indeed have some amazing authors who have said they'd be up for it. So please do leave a review and help to spread the word. You can find me at A Case of Books on social media or you can email me at annajamesauthor at gmail.com. The podcast is produced by Adam Collier with artwork by Hester Kitchen. And until series two, happy book wandering. Thank you.